one of the things I'm always cognizant about is trying to do too much to start. You know, I would rather do a smaller number of entities well than, you know, spread ourselves too thin. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, technology, disruption, all different kinds of stuff every week. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson, as we reach the almost end of February 2024, Tom. That's going fast, Joe. But this is a really fun time for the sports business with everything that's happening. Um, We just had the opening of Major League Soccer, which I'd love to uh, talk about for a second. Um, NASCAR, Daytona 500 was last week, although they they didn't actually do the race until Monday which mm-hmm. was unfortunate for them. Um, and then we've got the exciting part of the college basketball season coming up. And of course, March Madness and things are getting heating up in the NBA, which is always fun for us NBA fans. Cause they're the team seem to be playing a lot harder than they were a couple months ago as they and, fight for playoffs. And by the way, we have major league baseball now spring training, starting with see-through uniforms. So that's even better. <laughs> so Joe, I've only seen the headlines of that story in the last 24 or 36 hours. What is going on? It's the biggest scandal in uniform since George Costanza tried to make the Yankees uniforms <laughs> into cotton. Nice. So. Nice. But seriously, what, what was the issue? It was a manufacturing problem. Well, it, it's funny. I, it'll be interesting to see who points the fingers where, whether it's Nike. Oh, the finger pointing has started already. Yeah. You've seen that. But I mean, like, where, where it kind of ends up between Nike pointing at Fanatics or Fanatics pointing at Nike. But um, some kind of, um, I saw one headline or one, there was a player, I, I think he was on the Brewers, said something like, well, my wife really likes these pants. But other than that, I don't really know who else likes them. But um, they were some very reve- literally revealing photos of, the first couple of days of spring training, which games start, we're here towards the end of February, games start this weekend, actually. And uh, it's going to have to reach some kind of resolution. There's a lot of people who've looked at Fanatics over the years and said, you know, it's a, an amazing ride that Michael Rubin and company has been on doing what they're doing and, and taking over the world. And sometimes when you take over the world and you make sheer pants, I guess someone points back at you. So, well, how, But how do we define revealing pants like they mesh i mean did you see a good picture of one of one i've seen well you've seen interesting pictures of lots of things i think in the last 72 (laughs) hours so especially from you know players crouching and seeing whatever you're going to have to see and who's wearing athletic support all right i'll have to do a little bit more research it's yeah i mean it's it's really interesting and again these things happen i just don't know how it ever got to this point but um you know nike's dealt with product failures before and Fanatics gets to deal with a little bit, bit of brand uh, reinvention, I guess. So, mm-hmm. yeah, part of, a, you know, certainly wasn't on the radar. But, Tom, you touched on some things, but you didn't touch on the big thing I think you're going to talk about, which is the Apple app that came out. <laughs> the Apple I'm glad phone. you brought it up, Jeff. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and by the way, this goes under the emperor's new clothes topic, because yeah. I think that's where we're going to end up. For sure, for sure. I mean, I was uh, notified of that uh, app launch a couple of days ago, but they did it to coincide with the start of the MLS season and, of course, their promotion uh, for their MLS season pass on so Wednesday. M standing um, for Messi. Yes. Well, couple. So a couple of thoughts. One, Messi one is on the app. On the app, I, I hap- it happened to be launched the day that I had my class, yep. and so when we started the class. I asked the students if any had downloaded the app. There's a lot of serious sports fans in the class. And the and 
I think about eight or nine hands were raised. And I said, so what do you think? And everybody kind of looked at, back at me quizzically, like, what am I supposed to think? Because there's not much there. I was unable to get it because I hadn't updated. I realized my iOS to 17, which is required to get it. But I had read the article in front of Office Sports. So mm -hmm. I, the, the characterization of the feedback was underwhelmed um, because there's really not much to it. If it's a V1 of an app that will be enhanced over time, I accept that. But for now, uh, I read one of the headlines, which I think I shared with you a few hours ago, mm -hmm. which almost made me uh, laugh out loud. Apple launches app to keep up with teams, team score or league scores and stats. Or something like that. And, and I, I sent it to the guys I work with since we're in the app business. And I said, this would have been a good headline in like 2008 after the launch of the App Store, but right. there just doesn't seem much to it. So I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and, and know that it's a V1. They'll they'll iterate on it and maybe it becomes something really big. But did you actually get it? Are you? No, I'm not. a. am an Android guy. So, um, oh, OK, but there is a um, I will not say his name, a very astute follower of the tech space who's a colleague of both of ours. And when he texted me, he said, this is typical Apple, everything and nothing. So, so anyway. Well, it also got a little bit lost because the focus of the day was on Messi. And because yes. they kicked off the season yeah. uh, Wednesday night on Apple uh, TV. I thought, Joe, that I'm not a subscriber. I'm thinking about becoming a subscriber to the season pass. So, mm -hmm. But I went on Apple TV after dinner and I was thinking – well, to start the new season, to feature their the biggest guy in soccer, maybe they'll put this one out for free to generate an audience. No, no. that wasn't a freebie. <clears throat> and um, I don't know. I, I think about the whole notion of how you get more subscribers. I mean, all these, a lot of these streaming services, as you know, in terms of subs, have plateaued. And I think one simple marketing thing they're missing is just put a few more of these things out for free. And for me, MLS doing that and Apple to promote this new season was kind of a no-brainer. And I'm sure the people at Apple and MLS are a lot smarter than I am, but it's like, why wouldn't you at least do that first game with the most appealing player on the planet, who is the certainly the lead character in the MLS story going into 2024? I don't know. I don't get it. And um uh, you know, you, you you just try to imagine what could the ratings be like for a game like that. They probably were not bad, relatively speaking, but the actual reach of the game is super limited. Caitlin Clark and Peacock, same thing. Yeah, I, I would imagine, because I watched a little mm. bit of Caitlin Clark, as you know, I've got that little fever going. Mm. Uh, last night, it was on Peacock. And I would imagine the audience for the Iowa game last night against Indiana, we'll never know this because these numbers yeah. are not necessarily shared, um, certainly in a transparent way. But I would suspect maybe the audience for that game might have been bigger than the mm -hmm. MLS game, um, yeah. only because of the addressable market. So anyway, um, so <laughs> so we can keep going on that topic, but it seems like we've uh, we've been around the block so many times on this issue, and I don't know where it's going to go other than to say there's a lot of frustrated fans, young and old, that I know. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, so speaking of addressable markets and and innovation. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of, uh, as I said before we came on, a little serving and volleying today with careers and, and startups. So, um, you know, we had Mary Wittenberg on a while ago who was involved with League One Volleyball before she went to, went to and then left 
Gotham FC, but, um, and she gave us some really interesting numbers as to why volleyball's um, seemingly overnight success on the women's side indoor has really been 50 years in the making, 51 years in the making now. Um, but uh, there are several um, platforms or leagues in various shapes that are launching over the next 18 months, uh, one of which had a great start this year, the Pro Volleyball Federation. Um, and with us today to talk about not just that, but his really interesting career, especially around the college space and how it's morphed into this new job with, with uh, the PVF is Rob Carolla, the VP of PR and Media Relations for the Pro Volleyball Federation. So Rob, uh, welcome to the first serve for you for the cusp show. And that's my last kind of volleyball term that I would use. <laughs> You're killing that's it, right. Joe. You're killing it. Yeah. Nice job. Appreciate you both having me and I'm happy to be on. Yeah. yeah. Um, go ahead, Joe. You start. So Rob, take us through, we'll, we'll get to volleyball and how volleyball's kind of arrived. But I mean, you've kind of been around because of your your time in the college space, which you can go through, even at the Big 12. I mean, you've seen this kind of coming for volleyball because of the level that the Big 12, Big 12 volleyball has played for quite a while. Uh, but before we get to that, just kind of run us through like how you got here. Sure, sure. Well, I... Uh... Started working in, in athletics as an undergraduate student at uh, the University of Connecticut. And back then, you had to say University of Connecticut because not everybody knew what UConn was quite yet. Um, I like to tell people it was before the Gino, it was before Gino won his first national championship. So I date myself a little bit there. That was like Jim Calhoun and Don Perno, like that. It was, was uh, that <laughs> Jim Calhoun was there. Yeah, but no, I, I was I, I after Don Perno for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I started working in the athletic department in the communications office, uh, as an undergraduate student, didn't even know this field existed, um, was fortunate enough to have a, a, a neighbor in my dorm floor that was a student athletic trainer. And we got to be friends and he said, you know, you should go work for the athletic communications office. So that kind of got the ball rolling on this career and, uh, and it's been great ever since, you know, I've gone to, um, worked, as I said, as an undergrad at UConn and then worked um, at three different conference offices, not necessarily that's what I was seeking, but just so happened that way. I started at Conference USA in my first full-time job when they were based out of Chicago. Uh, that was the first year of the league, which was exciting and interesting because we were starting from scratch pretty much everything we did. Uh, then I went back and came back to my roots a little bit and worked at the Big East uh, Conference office when they were in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, that was back when they had football uh, and pretty good football, actually, at the time uh, when, when they had players like Donovan McNabb and, and, uh, and Larry Fitzgerald. And then um, uh, came down to area where I live now in Dallas, Texas, which is a Big 12 conference office. And again, that was not looking for that, but it was just each step along the way kind of allowed me to expand responsibilities and, uh, you know, do some different things and, uh, you know, worked out really well for me. So. Um, about 20 years later, uh, from my undergrad years, I, I found myself going in a little bit different direction. Um, I worked uh, after my Big 12 days uh, at uh, I worked on college football's 150th anniversary, uh, which was, a, a you know, for a set period of time. It was just doing the promotional and, and uh, stuff for that. And then um, went and worked on the professional ranks in the XFL, not the current version, but the one just before this. And. That was really enjoyable. Worked for the Dallas Renegades, the team here in North Texas, and um, 
Bob Stoops was our coach and that was going great. Uh, you know, then we had that little pandemic that some people have heard about, um, which, you know, ended that for all of us that were involved, 500 plus people. Um, so then did some uh, consulting work and that's kind of how I got involved with the Volleyball Federation. Um, Pro Volleyball Federation was looking for someone to do some PR and, and that type of thing. And then it morphed into a full time position. Cool. Um, so two things, and you probably can't do this off at the top of your head, but did you ever list every school at all the conferences that you've been at, like what that number is? The only reason I ask is Tom O'Jackson, when we had him on, said like there were 37 schools or 157 schools that he'd work with, including three in the Big East that never played in the Big East. So I was just curious, you know, kind of like how that's evolved from when you started, you know, at UConn, which I guess was in the Big East at that point, right? They were, yeah. To, to kind of where we are now. That was just kind of a, a one-off. But more importantly, give us Pro Volleyball Federation 101 and what the kind of the differentiators are and kind of where it is right now. Sure, yeah. We are a professional indoor women's volleyball league here in the United States. Uh, we started about a month ago, actually. One month from tomorrow was our first match. Um, we have uh, seven teams in seven different markets around the United States. We'll be 10 for next year because we've got three expansion teams that are coming on board in 2025. Uh, and the idea is that the women that play at this high level of volleyball collegiately and everybody here in the U.S. has seen, you know, the Final Fours and and the teams in Nebraska drawing 90,000 people to their football stadium and all that type of thing. They've never really had a place to play here in the U.S., uh, you know, there was an attempt back in the mid 80s and that only lasted for about a year or two. Um, but right now, before we started playing, you either had to go to Europe or you had to go to Asia or places like that if you wanted to play professionally. And it really was hard for a lot of these women to, you know, uproot and go overseas. They would miss their family. They would have, um, you know, homesickness a little bit. Uh, some of the medical coverage was not what it is here in the States, things of that nature. So, you know, we wanted to give them an opportunity to play here in the U.S. for a living wage in front of their friends and family and, you know, build something that will uh, be lasting, uh, you know, for professional women's volleyball. The athletes are there. The interest is there. And we thought it was just the right time for it. Rob, what's the structure of the league? The structure is just like any other professional league. Um, you know, we have team owners. We have a league office, um, so it's it's different than say what the XFL was when I worked in there. The XFL was owned by one entity, uh, you know, they owned all the teams and that type of thing. But our structure is more similar to what the average fan is used to in Major League Baseball or the NFL, where we have team ownership groups, and that's how we're expanding as well. And that's why you know as we started to launch and grow, you know, it took a little bit of time to get things in place because you know you can't just walk down the street and you know, find an owner who's willing to invest in a team. Rob, when I was doing some research, I was looking at the site, trying to get some insights as to how you're presenting the sport. And I was struck by something that I, I think um, is apropos after the opening of this podcast today, the convo that we had briefly about streaming. I saw a giant banner ad that said, rally with us live and free on YouTube. I went to the schedule because I know there are games this weekend that were recording this. And it, it's, you know, it had uh, the, the uh, calls to action, one of which was watch. So I clicked on the watch to see what it did. Brought me to the, uh, the YouTube um, page for the league. And I see that you have the games that have already been played over the last few weeks on the YouTube page. And it was 
a breath of fresh air, frankly. Like, okay, there's one place to watch these games. They're free. They're easily accessible. They're archived. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Volleyball, for doing this. Um, talk about that. I don't know if you've personally been involved. I'm sure you're, you're talking about it in, in part as part of your um, job responsibilities. Media and media distribution has become so critical to the success of any league of any size. Can you talk a little bit about that that idea of live and free being, I, I assume, an important pillar right now in the way you're building the sport? And by the yeah. way, how's it been accepted too? I mean, that's yeah, the other good thing. good question. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's been very important. You know, we we can't have interest, we can't grow interest in our league if people can't see it. You know, obviously we've drawn some great crowds to start our season, and that's fantastic. Uh, but you know, people are going to be watching it and uh, seeing it on YouTube and streaming it on our YouTube channel has been really successful for us. Um, you know, I. I be wrong if I didn't say we we're obviously, you know, and this was probably even before I started, we were out there talking to all the regular players. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm sure our founders were and, you know, for whatever reason, some of those things didn't come to fruition. But we did, we did, you know, we do have some matches later in the season after after March Madness that are going to be on CBS Sports Network. So mm -hmm. we've kind of tried to find a little bit of a balance there to add additional exposure to things. But, you know, when I have the YouTube match on my television, you know, and that's how I watch it. I pull it up on my TV and I've got the chat going on the right hand side of my screen. And a lot of times I'm watching that more than I'm watching the match itself, you know, because as an administrator for the league, you know, I want to see what people are talking about. You know, we have a team, one of our new teams is in Dallas uh, next year. And last night during the match, which was in Vegas, it was Orlando at Vegas. And, there was a good lengthy chat between these fans talking about what the Dallas team nickname should be, you know, and, and they were passionate about it. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a podcast, a coach's podcast for volleyball that's in there. And the hosts of that are fantastic from my chair because they get in there and they're kind of the voice of reason a little bit too. You know, they're chatting about like, if we have a, you know, and we've had a few technical problems here and there, just like any startup would, but um, you know, they're in there talking about like, you know, hey, guys, it's the first year, you know, be patient, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I want to send them a gift basket because they're, they're standing up for us. <laughs> Rob, are you moderating that chat in some fashion? We're not at the moment. Um, you know, it's something for us to think about for sure. Yeah. Tom, it sounds like an opportunity for Hang Live, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, maybe. Gonna, and, and, yeah. and I want to bring up this for people who haven't heard one of our more recent podcasts, which was pretty amazing with John Klein who's had a tremendous history in, in, uh, in media. What Rob mentioned, Tom, was a line that John used last week, which is the game for my young people have become a distraction to the conversation they have. So, <laughs> so um, Exactly. It's the same point yeah. he made uh, seven days yeah. ago, Joe. Yeah. It's funny. <clears throat> um, uh, talk a little bit about the business structure, Rob. Like how, how does it all work? Uh, tell us a little bit about the ownership groups, uh, the entrepreneurs who came in and did this, and then – Really interesting, like how were the cities picked and like are there structures in each one of those cities to make sure that tickets are sold and marketing is done there or is it all still kind of put together by the league? Sure. No, there are there are structures in the team cities. Basically, the way it was put together was our founders, you know, had this idea and went out and found ownership groups who were interested in investing, making financial commitments to owning a team in a particular market. Um, you know, and it varies just kind of 
the reasoning behind it. And we've had different, you know, some of those were relationships that our founders had with people. And then as word began to spread, it might've just been someone who was in a particular market who wanted to have a team here in this particular market. Um, you know, and we have uh, varying backgrounds of people in terms, you know, Carrie Walsh Jennings is one of our, obviously mm -hmm. a decorated Olympian. She's one part of our ownership group in San Diego. You know, so when we announced her, everybody knew who she was. That was head turning. Um, Joe Burrow, the Bengals quarterback is, involved in the team in Columbus, uh, you know, and, and that's uh, obviously makes sense there. And then there's some other ownership groups who they just wanted to own a, own a team. You know, they have no sports background whatsoever. Um, so each of those markets has the ownership group and then they work on the, um, you know, where are we going to play? You know, that's obviously an important component of what they're doing. Uh, we've got to find a coach. We've got to find, uh, we've got to, we've got to set our branding. Uh, you know, we were just talking, I was on a call earlier this morning talking with uh, the Dallas ownership group about some of these things because they um, are still working on their logo and branding for when they play next year. Um, and then once you kind of get that rolling, then you start thinking about adding staff and hiring people. And, you know, we have a variety of experiences there too. People like myself who've spent their whole career in sports um, and then other people, I mean, we have one woman who does PR for the Omaha team and she's worked in the White House and she's worked for NASA, you know, so she's obviously a PR expert, but she's leaned on me a little bit for some of the sports questions that she may not, you know, know off the top of her head. So, um, you know, and once you get that set up, then you're doing your, um, you know, outreach to the community, you're having events, local events in the community, obviously a, a big component of what we're doing with trying to push ticket sales working with the youth leagues and that th type of thing. But it's very much similar, at least our model is, to, like I said earlier, any other professional league. You know, the the Mets and the Yankees and the Jets and the Giants, you know, they want to get people in the stands. They want to get fans excited about what's going on. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what we're hoping for, too. Mm -hmm. I had a question, Rob, about <clears throat> how the league is approaching the game itself, the the proverbial product that you have. We've seen in the last few years a bunch of different sports try to do things to modernize the game for younger fans, modernize your respective games for younger fans, or reimagine the entire thing. I'm thinking Joe Savannah Bananas, uh, mm -hmm. which which maybe would be called an entertainment property more than a sports property, I guess. But ranging from baseball to basketball and uh, even soccer. When the league was created or as it evolves, do you think there's any uh, thought put into that about how you would actually present the game in terms of the rules and and some of the things that were always sacrosanct in most of these sports that until recent years were never even touched? Yeah, I mean, we're going to look at everything in the game. You know, one of the things they did early on was one of our um, uh, VPs of operations is uh, Cecile Renault, who was a longtime coach at Florida State, you know, was hired the same year Bobby Bowden was, uh, you know, did a lot there, uh, great things in the sport of volleyball. And, you know, I always say that when I'm doing this, I've obviously spent my whole career in sports, but I'm not a volleyball expert. And I'm definitely not an international volleyball expert, which is more closely what our game mirrors. Um, but... I always say that, you know, when we do something, we have to make sure that we are being loyal to the longtime volleyball fan. You know, we don't want the volleyball fan who's followed the sport since they were a little kid to look at us and say, God, what are these people doing? You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not the XFL of 2001. 
You know, um, you know, we don't want to be gimmicky in that sense because we think the sport can stand on its own. These athletes are incredible. The speed of the matches is incredible. I was watching the match last night and our last set was 30 to 28. You know, it, it just kept going back and forth and it was exciting and fun to watch. And, um, you know, there's tweaks you can make here and there. Like we have a serve clock, um, you know, to try to, um, you know, keep pace of the game well. But when we're doing other things, Like we're using a, a product called Bolt 6. It's a company called Bolt 6 that if you've ever seen in tennis where they show, you know, the ball in or out on the line, um, you know, that's what we're using. And our ownership groups have made a significant investment in that technology to allow us, you know, now we don't use line judges. It's all computerized. Yeah, okay. So it's We like have, like the Hawkeye product you're talking about in yeah, tennis. yeah, Yeah, very okay. similar to that. Yeah, we have 22 cameras in every arena. Wow. And we have a replay center here in North Texas, just up the road from me here in Frisco, Texas, where our replay people are there every match and calls are made pretty much instantaneously. I mean, we're talking milliseconds. So one of the complaints you had heard from a lot of people, as great as the college game is, they hate the replays because it takes too long. And, you know, we've gotten feedback already from college Uh, constituents in the college game who have been like, God, I hope, I hope the NCAA sees this and does it, Yeah. you know, because they've been so impressed and it just keeps the pace of the game going into your earlier point. I mean, I have two young boys Mm -hmm. who are, you know, part of the short attention span theater, you know, and, and you don't want to give anybody a reason to walk away or change the channel or whatever it may be. Well, I think that, that, you know, I did, I wasn't aware that I haven't, I've yet to watch a game. I will, I'll check it out on YouTube this weekend, but I, that's a really simple example, but a really valuable example because we've talked about this a few times on this pod. The way some of the new technologies are affecting the actual flow of the game, particularly in the final moments or fourth quarters, has become incredibly annoying to many of us. And the VAR, for example, in soccer, that can oftentimes ruin just really dramatic moments that you're waiting sometimes an hour for. are, I think, unfortunate. They really detract from the viewing experience. And it sounds like you've preempted that problem, which I think is really smart. And if you can actually be a little bit of a trendsetter vis-a-vis -vis NCAA, that's good for you guys. Yeah, I mean, and that's when I found out, came on board and heard about Bolt 6, you know, wearing my PR hat, I'm like, you know, this is, we got to be telling this every Yeah, chance we exactly. get. And, uh, you know, the other cool thing about it, too, is like, you know, we, I, I've said this a lot, most of my career is, you know, I want to be copied. You know, I want somebody to see something we're doing and say, hey, that's cool. That's cool. Did you see what they're doing over there? And just go ahead, steal my idea, because that means we're doing something right. Hmm. Um, as long as, Uh, you know, I'm. I just hope that the NFL never gets rid of the chain gang because we really need a chain gang, like like the NFL and, and NCA. I still, still, I still can't figure out why those old men are standing on the sideline. But that's just me. What do I know? Yeah. Well, I, I say the same thing about why you know in, in college or basketball at least we still keep the scorebook. Yeah, because right. yeah. somebody's got to have a job. That's what it Yep. is. Right? <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little bit about size of marketplace and and not. fully expecting you to address either competitors or others in the space, but it's, as we've seen with quote, hot sports, suddenly there's a plethora of businesses and, and the quick rise and fall of pickleball is, is one example, but not exactly the same thing, but you have athletes unlimited, you have live one volleyball coming in next year. You have you guys, how, how do you expect 
people to say, this is the place we want to go because it's obviously going to be competition in, in various ways, everything from brands to, to players to eyeballs. Um, what's the value proposition that, that you guys are putting forward so that you are the, the de facto league that people are looking at when they want to watch or want to understand more about women's professional volleyball indoors in the U.S.? Well, I think the biggest, one of the bigger, you know, feathers in our cap is, is, you know, we are regular season, real pro volleyball, like you're used to with all the other professional sports here in the U.S. And the other two entities aren't doing it the same way we are. So, you know, we can give you a regular season. We can give you a postseason championship. You know, our championship here is a Final Four style setup. It may not be that way in year two, but it's going to be in a way that fans are familiar with and they can follow easily. Um, You know, Athletes Unlimited is is. Well, you know, we appreciate what they're doing. It's a totally different model because they're going into a city for five weeks or whatever it may be. And and it's still professional, but it's for a set period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that makes us attractive is we're providing a living wage to every player. You know, our minimum salary is $60,000 um, for a season. We have a bonus structure in place if you win league MVP. We also have a $1 million prize for the team that wins our championship that they will divide amongst themselves. So there's a financial component that we're doing as well. And another thing that we're doing positively is providing medical benefits. You know, you have an entrance exam. You have medical benefits from the time you're employed. If you do get cut, you have an exit exam. Um, So that's things that aren't always present from what I understand in some of the other leagues in Europe and things of that nature. So, um, you know, we're doing that. We're looking into multi-year agreements um, and different things that may be coming down the road that'll make it worthwhile. Um, You know, and we think we stand out that way. What's the roster size? Our rosters are 14 players. And then you have uh, two players on your practice squad. Uh, we also set up right now for the first year, at least, where only two of those 14 can be international players. Wow. So we're giving the U.S. athletes the opportunity. You know, uh, we had a great draft back in December and Asia O'Neill, who won a national championship back to back years at the University of Texas. You know, she could have gone other places to play, but she wanted to play here in the States. And she was our number one pick. She signed with Columbus, Columbus. And, you know, just the other night, I mean, she had a fantastic match. So. We're showing, you know, 35 athletes drafted for us in our draft in December and 30 of them signed with our league because, you know, they wanted to play here. Awesome. Can you um, can you run through you you touched on a couple of the cities, but run through the cities and and why those cities are important to the league? Sure. Um, We're in Columbus, Ohio. We're in Atlanta, Georgia, Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, Omaha, Nebraska, Orlando, Florida, San Diego and then Vegas. So those are our seven cities. Um, you know, like I said earlier, uh, some of that stemmed from, uh, you know, ownership groups and interest in those particular places. Other places were pretty obvious, like Omaha, obviously Nebraska is an absolute volleyball hotbed. Um, you know, they've driven, driven great crowds so far this season, things of that nature. Um, you know, Grand Rapids has a good following in volleyball, too. You know, it doesn't sound like something that's always top of mind to people. But the they, Michigan Peninsula is one of, I, no joke, is one of the hottest areas for volleyball yeah. always in this been. So. Yeah. And the three new cities that we have coming on board next year are Indianapolis, Kansas City, and Dallas. And mm-hmm. all of them have huge, um, you know, youth volleyball followings and hotbeds and things of that nature. So we want to be in markets and we're looking to be nationwide too. So, you know, obviously um, places that we haven't hit yet, like the Northeast where you are, um, you know, it's definitely on the radar, 
But I think you also, as you grow leagues like this, you have to be careful not to grow too quickly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and size know. of the arenas? How, and so I, what's, what's kind of, give us a little idea about attendance too so far. Sure, yeah. We, we, um, we have a, you know, in Omaha, for example, we play at CHI Center, which is where Creighton University plays. Where They're going to have NCAA first and second rounds of men's basketball this year. We play at Nationwide Arena in Columbus, which is where the, uh, the Blue Jackets play. Mm-hmm. Um, San Diego, we're playing in the San Diego State Arena on their campus. Um, you know, Atlanta, we're playing in Gas South Arena, which is just a suburb of Atlanta. Okay, but um, one of my coworkers is actually from that area, and he had to explain to me that you know a lot of a lot of people in Atlanta are in those suburbs, so that there was the strategic thought behind placing it there. Um, so you know, capacity wise, it probably varies from anywhere from about five thousand to eighteen thousand in terms of mm-hmm. capacity. Um, I think nationwide is our biggest, maybe just by a, a small amount over CHI Center. Um, but you know, we're we're, we're so far this season, you know, we're only a month in and we've drawn a hundred thousand fans, you know, so far this season in person. So, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about that. Hey Rob, can we talk about social media for a minute? Are, is, is this reporting to you or are you handling helping uh, run that? Yeah. Me and uh, one of our other, one of my other colleagues kind of it reports into us. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a vital component. It's, you know, things that we have to do not only with our YouTube broadcast, like we talked about, but we take, pay a lot of attention to Instagram. Um, you know, some of the other stuff, uh, Twitter is, you know, X or whatever you want to call it is, you know, well, is, if you don't mind me just jumping in, because I want to actually <laughs> frame the question in a certain way. Uh, and Joe, this is an interesting thing because we were used to talking most of the vast majority of the time to established properties. And when you think about a startup, a, literally a startup league, you think about the importance of driving earned media, which of course is going to come through social. How much strategy and thinking did you put in just to kind of get it all going like to your you you smiled when you mentioned x you think about what's happening with tiktok the good things and the bad things with tiktok you think about the importance of facebook uh, for certain generations and you think about instagram's uh um impact how how, just to walk us through that process like setting up your social media business because we never really start at the beginning because it has to be from nothing and you got to turn into something big yeah, yeah, and and our channels were already established when I came on board in the full time role. But um, one of the things I'm always cognizant about is trying to do too much to start. You know, I would rather do a smaller number of entities well than you know spread ourselves too thin. Um, and you know, it, it's really important. But I also believe that, and we've had these conversations internally where we can't ignore something because we think it's, you know, no longer the flavor of the month kind of thing. You know, you always hear those things about Facebook and, well, Facebook and nobody was on Facebook anymore. But yet, if you actually look at the numbers, still a lot of people on Facebook. Yeah. You know, so um, it's important to do that. Just even our website, you know, it's important to still make sure we're putting content on our website because Mm -hmm. there may be, I don't, as a a lead that's just getting started, I don't ever want to miss a potential consumer or fan because we pour all our money and buckets into Instagram. Uh, You know, one of the areas that we're looking at too, we just, we're starting calls this week. We're finally finally getting the ball rolling earlier this week is we've signed on with a company called Socially, which is basically going to assist us in providing content to our players. 
So we'll have photographers at every match and videographers at every match. And we're using a content management system that will house all that information. You know, our teams will upload it to that. And then they in turn will be able to send out, for example, photos to our athletes so they can promote themselves mm -hmm. um, on their social platforms, which in turn will obviously promote our league. It's like what wow. Greenfly does, kind of similar product to Greenfly. Yeah, similar to that. Yeah. yeah. That's a really smart move. Good for you yeah. for doing that. Um before we let you go, I actually have a question because we didn't we've talked about big picture stuff. What about tell us about some of the, the storytelling around the athletes that people may not know about that you found, especially given all the places you've been, that you found like ridiculously interesting that nobody knew about? You know, just I haven't been able to meet as many of them as I would like, but the ones that I have are just not only very interesting people, um, but they are so passionate about their sport. Uh, you know, I was at AVCA convention in the final four down in Tampa and Morgan Hens, who plays for um, one of our teams in our league. She's, you know, three time All-American at Stanford from her collegiate days. And I'm walking out of the arena with her and, you know, people are stopping her for autographs, you know, because they just know who she is. And I I half jokingly said to her, like, well, nobody's asking me for my autograph, you know, but, um, you know, there, there's great. There's great people behind these things. We've got coaches who have had great stories. Um, you know, our coach in Columbus is Angel Perez, who, who came here from another country to coach because he's so passionate about the game. We have, um, you know, Taiba in, in San Diego, who's our head coach out there. You know, she's been on the Olympic team. Um, you know, so there's some great stories and histories behind it. And we think there's even more we can dig into there. We just, you know, month in haven't quite gotten as far as we want to on that yet and you touched on actually my last question before i throw it back to tom um how does the olympics help this summer um and is there a post-olympic plan which obviously would then lead to the next summer olympics which would be in la so how does the olympics factor into this the olympics factors in because of two reasons primarily is you know obviously there's more interest in any Olympic sport in an Olympic year. So that, that obviously doesn't hurt us. Um, but <clears throat> we're also going to be cognizant to when players, whether they're from the U S or internationally have a chance to play on an Olympic team. You know, there is, there is a possibility that as we get towards the end of our season, if the national team for the U S for example, starts training that they may need to leave a week early or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're going to let them do that. We're going to, we're not going to hold mm -hmm. anyone back. We want, we understand and, Take pride in representing your country. And, you know, we want them to know that we're going to work with them on whatever's going on um, professionally with them in that space as well. Cool. And, and I actually had one more question. I lied because I don't know why. No one's brought this up. What about the men? Why is there no men interest in men's professional volleyball other than the AVP? You know, it's, it's interesting because one of the things that we'll talk about sometimes is how in volleyball, the women's game has never taken a backseat to the men's game. You know, in, in a lot of sports, you might see that where, oh, well, you know, the NBA came first and then the WNBA. But in volleyball, the women have always been first as far as we can remember and recall, and they still are. And that's not to say those men's athletes aren't fantastic, but the passion is there for women's volleyball. And that's what we decided to capitalize on. Yeah, I would bet, Joe, it's a really good question. I would bet that if Nebraska staged a game for the men's volleyball teams, they wouldn't have gotten 92,000 like the women said. There's something about the women's game, because I, I actually am a bit of a volleyball fan, and I, I find it 
it's a really, to your point, Rob, it's a fun sport to watch. It really is. <clears throat> and Joe, there's a little bit of that, like what's happening in women's college basketball right now. So there's something that I think you can appreciate more vis-a-vis -vis the hustle and kind of this underdog feeling that seems to be emanating from the screen when you watch these college, these women's college games. And I sense that with volleyball too. Like, you know, they're not, they're not widely known. I mean, they're really trying to make it. They're really, they, they really are into it and they're really, they're really doing their best. And I think fans appreciate that. And the fact that they're unheralded actually plays to their favor. So I don't know if, if you, if you think about the men's game, even at the Olympics, I'm not sure what the ratings are, but it always seems like historically the women's side of volleyball has always done better. It's an interesting thing. Yeah. But the, I mean, it's funny because the only volleyball that most people knew from a competitive standpoint on the pro side was always the AVP, which was weighted heavily both men and women. And I'm just curious. It, it's amazing. Like men's volleyball doesn't come up in a conversation ever. Like, I mean, you never hear of Nebraska for a perfect example. Like, could they have thrown the men out there to get, you know, the first 20,000 people who came in or is it all just based on the women? I don't know. I mean, I've, and ironically, when you walk around gyms, college gyms, you rarely ever see men. Actually, it's funny. The only time I saw a reference to men's men's volleyball was last year with George Santos, believe it or not, who claimed that he was on the Baruch College <laughs> men's volleyball team. Oh, boy. They did a, and they did a great job of taking advantage of the fact that he was never there. And it was more exposure for for men's volleyball probably than anywhere. I just, again, not to, not to kind of say that. I mean, that's not what you guys are, but – it was just curious to see if that ever comes up in the conversation. Well, Joe, maybe that was a, a factor in actually naming the league the Pro Volleyball Federation. Yeah. That it leaves open the possibility. And there's never, I mean, there's never been a men's or women. Everything has been just, even the AVP is, is you know, Association of Volleyball Professionals. It's not right. men's volleyball, women's volleyball. I just, it was curious as to as to why that is. But anyway, I, I digress. If you want to give us a... One more time on the uh, the digital side. I just side. a quick follow up on that. I mean, and I, I'll ask both of you, you guys, where where what is the status of AVP? I randomly see them on TV once in a while, but they seem to have lost the luster they had. Joe, when was it? Six, seven, eight years ago, well, when it was, it was actually kind of a been, hot property. Yeah, well, it used to come around during the Olympics, and ironically, there was an indoor men's and women's circuit that Leonard Armato had launched called Hot Winter Nights. I remember failed. that. I remember that. Yeah. Um, okay. Because it was in the wrong, wrong arenas at the wrong time. Good idea. Wrong, wrong time. But um, the AVP was purchased by Bally's three, two, three years ago. And basically everybody knows the, the issues that Bally's has had from a regional sports network standpoint. You mean Bally, to, to be clear, you're talking about Bally, the casino company, the gaming company. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. and they bought the regional sports networks, and then yeah. there was. Well, they didn't buy them per se. Right. They're sponsored, and they're sponsored. They're, they're, right. They're, they're, but they the are part of the yeah. collapse. Right. They're part of the collapse of the regional right. networks. Right. And it is still around. I think they had six events last year under the AVP banner. Um, I don't know if they've announced a schedule yet for this year, but I would imagine they would because they'll do it around the Olympics, and this is their biggest time. And there are some, uh, you know, you mentioned, Rob, some of the uh, the former league players who are probably involved on in the ownership side. Um, and beach volleyball has actually grown tremendously on the college side. Um, but it's never kind of really, it's still there, and I think it will always be there, but it's a very niche sport. Their, their biggest problem is there's no place, 
you take the stadium in the sand everywhere you go. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, like, the like, P- it's, Joe, it's like the PBR. You need to carry that dirt around. Gotta, in the what was it? What was it that, that they told us? 17 feet of dirt that they bring everywhere they go. So, okay. uh, or slam ball with, you know, you got to bring the trampolines everywhere you go. But anyway, yeah. so, but yeah, I think, I think, and Rob, uh, you know, you can probably talk to the college side of it too, but, but I, I think that's, that's been kind of the challenge. At least I know on the AVP side, I don't know if the big 12 went to sand volleyball yet, but I know that the, there's been a lot of talk of that. Yeah. Not when I was there, they didn't. I'm, I, I don't think they have at this point, but you know, the women's game has grown so much. I mean, when I, my first job, when I started at the big East, um, you know, way back when I was doing volleyball media relations, you know, and um, it's totally a different game. You know, they went about it strategically. You know, you asked early on about things that we're doing to keep fans and draw fans and all that. You know, I'm sure all of us are old enough to remember that, you know, volleyball, when I first got involved in this business, was not TV friendly. The matches took a long time because it was, you know, you had to serve to score a point and all that kind of stuff. And they've done over the years a good job of making it a little more viewer and fan friendly. And, um, you know, I, I watch these matches and see the speed of these athletes and they're unbelievable. And, you know, and then if you ever want to feel uh, really short, go to a volleyball convention because I was I'm five eleven and I was <laughs> on the shorter side of people there. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, um, fun stuff. Before we get to our last three questions, um, media exposure rob what is there i would imagine there are trend uh um outlets that cover just volleyball which i have every sport but how has been the local um the local media coverage broadcast digital to grow the sport yeah the local media coverage has been good uh you know it varies as you would expect you know in certain markets obviously omaha is going to be covering it top to bottom as you would expect they would grand rapids does a good job on not only you know with written media but local newscasts and things are covering it um you know but we've had good turnouts in each city you know it's just some of the bigger markets the atlantas of the world you know it's a little you gotta like it's a little harder because obviously atlanta has so much going on um you know but uh but we've had good i mean vegas you would think vegas could be a challenge but we've got a local broadcast deal there where they're you know have a local crew that's they have their announcers sitting courtside, all that kind of stuff that we, you know, we take that stream for our, our YouTube broadcast, but they've made an agreement to do some local in-market broadcasts on over the air channel. So, um, you know, it just kind of depends, you know, I think where, where you see us now in year one is not where we're going to be in year two. You know, I have to sometimes remind myself, honestly, you know, I've been fortunate to experience everything from running uh, things in a league office to final fours to, to different events and you know i want to do everything but we can't do it all at once you know we have to kind of prioritize and you know the top priority right now is just making it good for our teams making it good for our players you know they're you know i a friend of mine in the business told me a long time ago you know when when teams come to an arena to play we only want them thinking about winning or losing you know they shouldn't be thinking about where's my coolers where's my water you know, towel, my water bottles, my towels, those types of things. They should just be focused on the competition, winning or losing, that type of thing. Cool. Tom, you want to give us uh, our final three? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll do the first two, Joe. You can have the fun one. Um, Rob, how do you keep up with everything? What are you reading, listening to, following, watching? 
to stay smart for your job and uh, and your involvement in the business? I think, you know, most of mine are the some of the email bulletins that we get. You know, I read front office sports every day. I still read the D1 ticker every day. Um, you know, even though I'm not in the college space, I still want to stay in touch with what's going on there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th those types of outlets are kind of my primary news source for um, for um, athletics. You know, Sports Business Journal and Sportico do a great job of covering it as well. So those are kind of some of the go-tos, um, you know, from a sports, just a sports perspective. Um, I'm a big fan of The Athletic. Um, I think their writing is outstanding, um, you know, professionally and collegiately. Um, so from where they've come from to where they are now, I, I'm, I'm rooting for them to continue to be successful and, you know, that type of thing. But that's those are kind of my go-tos. Rob, before I ask you the numbers, the second question, do you feel as though volleyball is getting fair coverage in the sports business at this question. point? Yeah, I mean, I think they've, they've covered us. Um, you know, we've got to give them something to cover, you know, yeah. and when you're in the middle of a season, some of the business stuff, um, you know, has been a little, it, it's not quote, it's more sports than it is sports business. Right. Um, right. So, you know, I think they've been fair. I have good relationships with those folks. Um, they've done some great stories on us, um, you know, and I, I'm it, it's funny as a PR and media professional. I sometimes I think you have to remind people that, you know, people aren't just going to cover us because that, that we want them to. You know, we have to they, they're going to cover us because we're giving them something to cover. You know, I have reporters. I, I have a, a longtime columnist here in the DFW market where I live who has told me, like, I, I can't really, you know, write anything right now, but keep sending me your releases, keep sending me the emails, you know, because he wants to be in the know because he knows there's a market for it. I'll give you one suggestion. See if you can recruit Lionel Messi to the new team in Dallas this summer. Yeah, that 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 work. <laughs> well, I've had those conversations too with people who are the volleyball experts, you know, is um, when is that next person coming up you know through our draft you know when is that next college player like we've got to make sure we're on top of that and getting right. those kind of players yeah for sure um and then the second one um is about careers can you offer some advice uh, particularly to the young people listening to this show you know i think i with trying not to sound old when i say this but be able to have a conversation talk to people you know, get out from behind your computer, get out from your phone. I, I jokingly call it the heads down generation because they seem to always be looking at their phones. Um, you know, when I was at the Big East and the Big 12, I had two postgraduate internship positions. So you graduate college, you come and work for me for a year and get experience and build your resume and all that kind of stuff. And we used to have events. And one of the things I used to tell my interns was, you know, if we have like a, a social function, don't let me see you sitting at a table with just people from our office. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to work the room. You've got to work, move around. You know, I used to go to events and I used to joke with my friends like, Hey, I've got to make an appearance here. And I'm not saying that to sound like I'm an important person or anything. It's just, I think people really appreciate that. And I think that's important from our perspective, not only professionally for networking, but also career wise for what you do for your job to make sure that they think well of whoever I'm working for. Yeah, got it. Um, and then the last question, which is always the most fun, uh, we've started to ask people this over probably the last 10 or 15 of these, but uh, what's on your shelf? Like, what's the thing when you turn around and you look around and say, man, this is the thing that it's either the coolest, most unique or most memorable that I've kind of taken from my career? 
Wow, that's a good one. Um, you know, I think I have this nice... Um, I, I, I was fortunate enough to be nominated for and to serve on the board for COSIDA, which now is College Sports Communicators. It's a professional organization for 3,000-plus communications professional college athletics. I was nominated for the board there, served as president. Um, so... You know, that was an honor for me to do. I take a lot of pride in it. You know, I never looked at communications as a stop along the way. I saw it as the destination. So to be able to lead that organization and lead all of those professionals, um, you know, was something I take pride in. And and also some some memories from, you know, in conjunction with that, some memories from many of the years that I was fortunate enough to work on the media coordination team for the men's final four and men's basketball. Uh, you know, I was fortunate to do that for about 25 years and um, yeah. saw some amazing efforts, but, you know, being involved behind the scenes in that it's not only getting to go to the games or getting to be in the arenas, but it's the relationships you build. And to your earlier question about the importance of what is important, it's the relationships I've built with people over 25 plus years that I find that I hold closest to my heart. That's a good thing to have on the shelf. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. The metaphor uh, on the shelf. And then uh, lastly, Rob, tell us where people can find you and, and where should they go for all information, Pro Volleyball Federation. Yeah, well, our provolleyball.com is our website. We're obviously um, on uh, on Instagram at, at you know, at Pro, um, pro Volleyball. Um, and then, um, you know, we're on Facebook and all those places. Uh, my personal, I'm on social media, more on um Twitter than anything else where I post kind of some musing. So it's just at Rob Carolla. Um, you know, I, yes, I'm one of those people still on Facebook, but that's more to, so my mom can see pictures of my kids, you know? Yep. <laughs> nice. Cool. Well, thank uh, you. I appreciate it. Want to wrap us up, Tom? Yeah. Um, appreciate the time, Rob. It was a fun conversation. We wish you good luck with this new venture and the new season. And we will be checking that on YouTube and we urge our listeners to give it a, give it a look free what was the phrase it was live uh, and free live and free okay yeah. that's going to be the theme of of this uh, sport going forward live and at least for now until of course someone comes calling like amazon or apple with a bundle of money uh, <laughs> and that would listen and then it'll be yeah, live <laughs> but not necessarily free how's that uh <laughs> we'll see but for for the time being i think it's a really smart strategy and i think you guys are well positioned to to kill it this year. No pun intended. That'll be the last pun since we're wrapping up. Um, we appreciate it. We um, appreciate everybody listening. We thank Mike Schroeder behind the scenes for producing every week and doing the editing and helping us out. We appreciate the program for supporting this podcast and we will um, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Joe.